everybody, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, a show where we explore news and topics from here in Taiwan. I'm today's host, Trevor Tortomasi, and for this episode, I'm speaking with Brian Hugh, a founding member of New Bloom magazine and a regular correspondent for multiple news agencies in Taiwan, including ICRT. Hi, I'm Brian Hugh. Uh, I'm a freelance journalist as well as translator, and I'm one of the founding editors of New Bloom magazine, which was started in 2014 after the Sunflower Movement. I started by asking Brian about the recent coverage of Taiwan's geopolitical situation on HBO's Last Week Tonight. So, Brian, we can start with the most recent news. Um, you were consulted for a recent feature story on Taiwan that is uh, rather blowing up uh, in the HBO show Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Um, how was your experience working with their production team and on the project? Yeah. It was quite interesting. I mean, they asked very detailed questions. They had evidently done the research. Uh, they were also very interested in hearing what Taiwanese perspectives were. And I think um, that is something that oftentimes one doesn't see from these various Western television shows or news reports or et cetera. I think there's, this is just an aspect that's passed over. Um, but they had done the work beforehand. And so a lot of what the questions they asked about were what would be uh, what Taiwanese think and feel kind of today about these sort of issues. And were there other Taiwanese people on the team as well? People who had lived in Taiwan had some some personal experience here? Uh, yeah, there were. Um, so just uh, Taiwanese researchers, uh, Taiwanese Americans, diaspora. Uh, the producer who actually did the segment, uh, Marion Wong, is, is Taiwanese American. So I think it was something that she was interested in pushing for. Um, and so other people talked to her, for example, uh, James Lin, the academic, or Jessica Dron, um, mm-hmm. who's a think tank researcher, uh, Lev Nachman as well. Who, uh, and so it's uh, a lot of these kind of experts that were writing on Taiwan, but they are active on Twitter and social media and doing public engagement. Uh, they reach out to people like that. I'm so happy to see the, uh, the care and time that this, this piece deserves put into it. Um, so how much time and planning did go into a feature story like this? So it does seem like it went on for a few months because I uh, heard about some of the interviews being in August. Uh, I was probably one of the last people contacted because I talked to them maybe, I don't remember when exactly, it was probably a week or two weeks ago. And so I think that was probably the last proofing processes. But it does seem like it was a very detailed uh, process. You know, a lot of research went to it and there were mul- probably multiple rounds of revisions, I'm guessing, if there was uh, that much time in between doing these interviews and when the show actually aired. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, obviously, we see it come up on YouTube and we, we don't imagine that they just did it that week. But also to imagine it taking that long, especially over a period of a, such a tumultuous period of time um, between Taiwan and China, etc. Some of the things they talked about. Do you know if the project changed a lot as it went? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for example, um, one of the entry points I think they used for the uh, into Taiwan issues was the uh, flybys by Chinese planes in uh, early October, um, October 1st, October 5th, more abouts. Uh, yeah. So I think that that is maybe something that changed it, or maybe that they allowed to use this as a, a framing for, for the story as a whole. Um, but yeah, I think I was quite impressed just by the various stories they went into in terms of Taiwanese politics, like the footage they used, for example, of the mascots in the basement of the Taipei City Hall or, <laughs> or things like that. Um, yeah, particularly that they, they found that footage and it's from uh, it's in English as well. And so I think a lot of people don't know about the existence of these kind of clips that they, they use for that. And so it was quite broad ranging. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, a few friends on Facebook, a few people I follow on Instagram being like, they used my clip in the in the feature. And, you know, remembering how connected and small, like not small, but wide reaching any connection in Taiwan is. Um, mm-hmm. It's cool to see everyone absolutely. sort of team up for this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that breadth of uh, content that they covered or drew on is, is also a sign of the, the research they did. Yeah, that's amazing. Where were you most focused on filling in the gaps with your expertise? So I think some of the framing, uh, particularly, uh, for example, that Taiwan is not a small country. If you look at its population or the size of the economy, it's actually not that small. Um, or maybe just in terms of, uh, for example, Tsai Ing-wen advocating for the status quo and not independence or the framing around um, that 
times people hope just to be free of China or just to, for China to stay away and leave Taiwan alone uh, rather than pushing for outright independence or unification. Um, and so I think that kind of framing was probably where I had the most input, uh, particularly because that's an issue I've written about in terms of politics and, and so forth. Um, yeah. Yeah. What what the Taiwanese people want. Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, so. Yeah, I think a lot of it is also just views on the ground because, um, you know, I'm the one that's here in Taiwan currently of the people I think that they talk to. And so um, I think just, you know, in terms of what current sentiment is or how certain things are articulated, um, I think that's what they wanted more kind of input on. Speaking of what you've been <laughs> writing, you're a founding member of New Bloom magazine. Can you mm. tell me about your work there? Yeah, that's right. And so New Bloom was founded in 2014 after the Sunfire Movement, as I mentioned. Uh, so we were mostly participants in the movement or people that were organizing solidarity rallies for the movement abroad. And so in the beginning, kind of half of us were here in Taipei, which included me, and we were participants in the movement. And so I was one of the people that charged the legislature. I was one of the people that charged the executive rent on the 23rd slash 24th. Uh, some people were in New York primarily, uh, organizing uh, Saudi rallies with the Taiwanese students there. And so we kind of linked up because we felt that it was lacking international coverage of what was going on, despite this being a uh, earth-shaking event in Taiwan, just everyone was distracted by the plane that disappeared, for example, the Malaysian airliner. Um, and so just also getting Taiwanese voices out there into international coverage, because a lot of times what is written about Taiwan occurs from afar without paying attention to what Taiwanese are actually uh, understand of, of what's going on or how they look at things. And so we try to build a platform for that. And that's kind of what it became. Um, and it's been, it's been seven years, uh, literally seven, maybe seven and a half years of running this. Okay. Yeah. I noticed that the New Bloom website displays the subheading radical perspectives on Taiwan and the Asia Pacific. Is this radical or would you say that you have other perspectives that you want to throw in there and, and really challenge the uh, status quo? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's a combination uh, in terms of kind of political leanings. Uh, you know, we tend, you know, we're a news outlet uh, in part, but also we believe that when you do have quote unquote objective news, there's still subjective views behind that. And so the best way to be honest to your readers is to just be open about what your views are. And so we are more uh, left wing and we are also more pro-independence. And so that's part of what it is. I think what's quite interesting is that around the time of the Sunfire Movement, then you do have this attempt to think through what independence means from a left wing, uh, progressive or uh, kind of you know pushing for social equality in that sense. And these questions had not been previously thought of. And so then... For example, some of the uh, key activists that were part of a group called Radical Notes, including Chen Weiting or Wei Yang, uh, people like that. And then after the movement, uh, you have the Radical Party, uh, the Radical Wings Party, which later became the Taiwan State Building Party. And so this kind of pushing for left independence is not as unusual, I think, among uh, just the kind of activists that are involved in the Sunfire Movement. Um, but then in terms of arguing for this kind of perspective, I mean, it means being critical of, for example, Donald Trump in the U.S., despite him offering support for Taiwan, uh, pushing for you know greater qualities in Taiwan, or also being critical of the Tsai administration, uh, that sort of thing, rather than just pushing for blind reliance on the U.S. to counter China. Uh, and having more critical narratives about the DPP as well as the ruling party in Taiwan. Yeah, definitely. If you support anything, you've got to support it for the right reasons. I guess you've already talked about your political activism, but um, mm. is there any is there anything else that you've been politically active with in, in Taiwan that you'd like to speak on? Yeah, I mean, uh, mostly it is New Bloom. I mean, I feel like in the past I was involved in a lot of different things, uh, you know, just all around the world. Um, you know, Occupy Wall Street in New York was something that happened when I was in college and I was part of as well. Uh, then I studied abroad in Japan and became involved in some activism there. Um, but currently, it is primarily New Bloom. That's mostly the thing I run. Um, but we also run a space in Wanghua, uh, like an activity space, an event space, art space. Um, so we do various events, including talks, discussion, forums, uh, parties as well, um, just, you know, just to have a social gathering for like-minded people and to create a community. And so a lot of my efforts are also focused on there currently. 
So you're also a regular commentator on Taiwan Plus, as well as ICRT's podcast, Taiwan This Week. Um, how is something like Taiwan Plus affecting the news landscape here or abroad? So I think uh, what's important is just that Taiwan has not had a lot of English language coverage historically, despite how important it is. And so the, the emergence of something like Taiwan Plus, also the existence of, for example, ICRT, I think, is very important in that sense, just because it is filling a gap. And uh, it allows, I think, for, for Taiwanese voices or perspectives to be heard in, in the international world in that sense. And I hope having more media in varied forms, including television and radio, can allow for that. Um, I think the, the question is a lot of times just, you know, for example, there's only a few English language outlets uh, that do uh, text writing, I guess, you know, websites like Taipei mm -hmm. Times and et cetera. But then oftentimes there's not a lot of resources going there. Uh, for example, one of the issues with Taipei Times is that their website only works part of the time and there's, you know, not awareness of that actually. Uh, so I think seeing the government put money into Taiwan Plus is, is something helpful. I just hope that that continues and it's not just done as something as, as kind of a, for the sake of domestic politics, like, oh, we did this thing. And now we can say that we try to boost Taiwan internationally, but we're not actually going to put a lot of energy into this. So right now, I think the momentum is pretty good for that, but I hope it keeps up. What kinds of stories do we need to hear or see more of from Taiwan? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is just focusing on Taiwan warts and all, um, just not just positive press about Taiwan, for example. And I think particularly this is what uh, the government has really struggled with in terms of, let's say, tourism advertising. A lot is just uh, very idealized and it doesn't, it's not actually what attracts people, just this kind of very sanitized image of, of Taiwan. And I think also knowing what is being discussed internationally in the news discourse um, just around the world, it requires having your finger on the pulse there. And so I think that's another thing the government has not always figured out. And so it can be heavy handed sometimes, a little bit too over the top, or just sometimes it is just not well done. I mean, you see a lot of English errors in a lot of government press releases or uh, when they try to reach out to the media about various things they are trying to promote. And so I think that's the thing that is, is needed from news outlets in Taiwan, um, because I think that that is what, what draws people in. And that's something I actually liked about the John Oliver segment, that it wasn't just idealizing Taiwan as some glorious democracy or you know, lighthouse of hope in the Asia-Pacific, but it showed a lot of the kind of messy aspects too, including fighting in the legislature and yeah. these mascots and, and things like that. Yeah, this is a big mainstream coverage from the U.S. And then how do you hope the world will see Taiwan in the most real sense or in the most idealistic sense or maybe something in between? Yeah, I guess something in between, because I think that is the most real Taiwan. I mean, there are aspects of Taiwan that are very, I think, worth praising or for the international world to recognize would be definitely a great thing. But, you know, it is a place like any other place. And so it also has its flaws. And I think just showing all these different sides of Taiwan is, is what allows for a nuanced, uh, balanced coverage. But it's also that is, I think, what people are interested in, these kind of, you know, stories of, of real people in a real place. And I think that's the way that, you know, Taiwanese perspectives can actually get out there into the international world. Okay, so what is for you the most difficult aspect of maybe this journey or for your news career in general? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just uh, these kind of framings of, of Taiwan. I think there's the, the attempt to put Taiwan in a box and so is that of cross-strait relations or just you know how Beijing reacts. Uh, and that's why you often have these stories are written with such a disproportionate focus on just what China thinks about Taiwan and this disregarding of, of Taiwanese voices. I think a lot of uh, news coverage historically has been written from Beijing. That's changed because just all these journalists got kicked out and some have come to Taiwan. Uh, so I think there have been some actually just improvements in that respect because now people are experiencing Taiwan for themselves. Uh, but in terms of framing, I think just in terms of trying to uh, create an independent space for media discussion, it, it requires uh, just sorting through a lot of uh, challenges, you know, just logistically and, and what have you. I think also just in terms of English language coverage on Taiwan, uh, there's a lot of holes that are missing, a lot of big stories that just don't get written about in English because there's so little. 
Um, I also try to react against the kind of sensationalist clickbait that one sometimes does see about Taiwan. And so this is always, I think, with companies what gets the most hits and the most attention and companies that are dependent on advertising to try to draw on this to survive. And we are not, uh, we are fully just reader funded or crowdfunded and on the basis of just being volunteers. So we don't have this issue at all. But that's, I think, the issue that you know, one does get these misleading stories just put out there just for the purposes of, of getting attention. I think this is a major issue in the domestic media landscape. Um, and so I think particularly for English language uh, writing on Taiwan from domestic media outlets, because we think of ourselves as a domestic media outlet and not an international one, a lot is very poorly fact-checked, for example, or you know, there are obvious errors and, and things like that. And just nobody ever calls people out on that. And so I think pushing for a more robust, uh, more accountable news landscape sometimes does require just pushing on these issues. Okay. Yeah. And I think the world thanks you for that. So uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the people of Taiwan? Um, not particularly. I mean, just I think people should try to pay more attention to what is written about Taiwan English, because I think something that's heartening to me to see is, uh, for example, more Taiwanese people taking to Twitter or English language, primarily English language platforms to express their views of news coverage in Taiwan, whether they think it's accurate or not, or what have you, and having more discussion that way. And so I think that's that's a development I really welcome, and I hope to see more of that. And uh, where else can people find you? So I'm on social media in various forms, Twitter, Facebook, um, those always work. Um, we have a New Bloom account as well on, on all these different platforms. We try to be active on every social media platform, but it's pretty easy to find me on social media. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Once again, all my thanks to Brian Hugh. And finally, as I close out this episode, I'd like to remind everyone to join my co-host, Ryan Drillsma, in next week's episode. Stay safe out there, everybody. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. <laughs>